Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host, and this is your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. On the agenda tonight, last night's UFC card, yeesh. A little bit of an yeesh. We'll, uh, we'll get into that. We'll preview the upcoming UFC on ESPN Plus 54 event, which at least has a good main event, and some of the news of the week. So I, I'll also talk a little bit about the Bellator results because they had a fairly... I again, I joke about Bellator a lot, but this, uh, this, la- this event they had was the semifinals for their uh, light heavyweight Grand Prix, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But that's the agenda. So before we get into everything, if you could please interact with the product a little bit. Again, subscription, a review, a rating, if that's relevant, please, if you can. If you've done that, please share the show around social media or with any of your people in your physical space. Your physical, your, uh, jeez, we need a better word than social media. Uh, because then, what do you call your physical, your, you know, physical, so your social circle, is that, because that's physical rather than, uh, your internet or electronic. So there's not actually a one-to-one comparison there in terms of just inverting the language. So anyway, uh, tell any of your friends, family, or acquaintances about the show if they're interested. And if not, then on your social media platform of choice, if you could share that around, always appreciated. Anything that you can do to help out the show like that. All right, so with that out of the way, let's jump into last night. UFC on ESPN plus 53. This card suffered... Ah, jeez. Boy, did this card suffer. One of the... Uh, there were a couple of fights that got postponed. Uh, one of these was during the last week, so... Uh, we were supposed to get a middleweight fight between Julian Marquez and Juden, uh, Juden, Jordan Wright. Uh, that fell apart the day of the weigh-ins because of the, uh, some non-COVID health issues on the part of... Marquez. Uh, unfortunate. Very unfortunate. I was kind of looking forward to that one. Marquez is a... He's not a great fighter in the in the traditional mold of great fighters, but he tends to have watchable fights. And, I mean, he dragged a decent scrap out of Sam Alvey, and that's a Herculean effort. So we lost that. Um... I can't remember when the Nzechiku and Daun Jung fight was postponed. Uh, probably long enough. Yeah, long enough out. Okay, we yeah, we knew about that one. Um, I think the other thing was, and we knew about we knew about Caroline. Okay, so yeah, it's this was never. A, I mean, the big problems for this particular card came at the top. The original main... This was originally supposed to have a top... Uh, your top two fights were going to be Misha Tate taking on Ketlin Vieja and then Holly Holm and Norma Dumont as your co-main event. That would theoretically set up a rematch between Holm and Tate that... I mean, if Tate's going to be back and hanging around and Holly's still hanging around and I don't begrudge either of them, Neither of them has a shot against Amanda. I mean, Misha Tate's making some noise like she wants to fight Nunes again, and I... That would go poorly. It would go very, very badly for Misha Tate. I think that's the only way to say that. But, 
Uh, a rematch between those two is something that uh, enough of the fans would be interested in seeing that that's kind of what they should be doing. And for some reason, they're futzing around with... You'd think the UFC would have learned. Okay, you all may not remember this. I don't know how many of you were around at the time. But when the UFC acquired Pride, uh, they brought over... He wasn't the champion anymore, but one of the big assets they acquired was Vanderlei Silva, who had a very, very long unbeaten streak. He was the Pride light... They called it middleweight. Um, Pride had heavyweight, middleweight. It was still it was still around the same weight class. I forget what the kilo breakdown it was like 203, because they measured in kilos instead of pounds or whatever the kilo restriction was. It was it, I still call it light heavyweight, but he was their champion in that weight class for a long time. Uh, only he lost it on one of the last Pride shows when uh, Dan Henderson beat him. But for years, people have been speculating about the best light heavyweight in the UFC. At the time, it was Chuck Liddell and Vanderlei Silva, the best light heavyweight in Pride. Sort of the best light heavyweight. The champion, certainly, depending on which point in Pride history we're talking about. There was a period of time when Shogun was pretty clearly the best guy in that weight class, even though he wasn't the champion. But that's uh, a different discussion. There, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of talk about what happens when these two guys finally fight. And they'd gone back and forth. They were both striking specialists, first and foremost. It was it was a dream fight. It really was. If you were a fan at that period of time, Chuck Liddell and Vanderlei Silva was a dream fight. So they announced that they've signed Vanderlei Silva after they acquired Pride. Chuck Liddell, he's coming off of the loss to Quentin Rampage Jackson, where he lost the light heavyweight title. And... They decide that, okay, Chuck Liddell is going to fight Keith Jardine. This was looked at as kind of a rebound fight. And if Chuck wins, he'll fight Vanderlei Silva next. Well, the problem with assuming that Keith Jardine was going to be a rebound opponent was Keith Jardine showed up and was very, very ready. Turned in probably the best performance of his career and beats Chuck Liddell by what should have been unanimous decision. I don't, one of the, the judge who scored that for Liddell, I... I don't know what you were smoking, man. I really don't. But you try to set this up, and then Chuck loses. Now, the UFC then then just went ahead and went, okay, so we're going to do Chuck and Vanderlei anyway. But having these set-up fights in between, you're putting extra steps between the fight that is the fight to make unnecessarily in one of the most... I can't say one of the most unpredictable, because that's not true about MMA. But one of the more chaotic sports in the world and you you're now running into these hurdles and instead of clearing them you're just kind of crashing through them it's it's bizarre you'd think the ufc would have learned but i suppose not so they're trying to do it that way then tate got covid so her and vieja got pushed to um i forget when it's coming up at some point there's still a main event for some other fight night i think uh, then Ladd and Dumont was supposed to be the main event. Or not Ladd, excuse me, Holm and Dumont. Holm pulls out due to an injury. Aspen Ladd steps in on about a week's notice. Um, this card. All right, well, let's get through this and then we'll talk about it. Uh, main event, Norma, du this was at Featherweight. Um, I can't remember if it was always Featherweight, but when Ladd stepped in on short notice, they certainly made it Featherweight. It might have been Featherweight anyway for Holm and Dumont. So, I'm not sure. I, it doesn't really matter. Uh, 
Dumont defeats Aspen Ladd, the unanimous decision. 249-46, 148-47. I was 49 47 49-48. I can't remember off the top of my head. I had a 10-10 round in the fourth is where that little bit of wonkiness comes from. Um, first three rounds, not a lot happens. Dumont wins by... These two just circled. And they circled and they circled and they circled and Dumont would throw out a jab and circle and jab and circle and Aspen Ladd was doing nothing to mitigate this and there was a lot of that for 15 minutes. Fourth round is a little bit more back and forth. Ladd's able to force the clinch in places. There's a takedown from Dumont. There's a sweep from Ladd at the very end. Uh, I don't... You can go either way on that round. Again, two judges gave it to Dumont. One gave it to Ladd. I called it a draw. Whatever. Uh, fifth round went to Ladd. She was able to finally kind of force the issue. Spent a lot... I think a lot of Ladd's winning of this round was Dumont deciding to... Just doing some risk management. Like, okay, I might be losing this round, but I've won the fight. And I'm going to... I'm not going to stop fighting entirely. She absolutely didn't stop. But if Ladd wants to spend three minutes of this last-ditch round where she needs to finish and I don't, if she wants to spend that in the clinch, okay. I'm not going to waste too much time and energy trying to break free. We're, I'm safe here. And I can fight here pretty well. And, yeah, there was just a lot of that. Um, I don't have much to say about the fight. The fight sucked. This was a pretty terrible fight. Uh, I think the only talking point that came out of this after the fact was Aspen Ladd's coach, who, like, from the second... I don't think he was quite as um, forceful after the first round, but every round after the second was just every time Ladd came back to the corner, okay, you, you lost the round, please tell me what you're doing. You, you've got to pick... He kept telling you, you've got to pick up the pace, you're just getting outworked. Uh which was very true. And, uh, one of her other coaches kept telling her, stop trying to jab with Dumont. You go with your power side first, which is not the worst idea, if, especially if your opponent's jabbing a lot. You follow that back with a right hand or a power hand. Right, kind of, I say right as a default. That's a good way, that's a pretty good idea. And she just, she couldn't get anything going. She couldn't get anything going. Dumont was able to, clinch break fairly effectively for most of this, and then the times they spent for a long time in the clinch, it was pretty even. Uh, just a really kind of lifeless performance from Aspen Ladd. Yeah, her coach was giving it to her between every round. And he's got a little bit of flack for it, and I... I'm not, I'm not going to pile on the guy. Look, you talk... Coach is a good coach, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Knows how to maximize... Uh, their fighter how to knows what they need to hear, and Lad sometimes needs the little bit of the drill sergeant. It needs someone to tell her you're. You know, there's the famous bit. Um, uh, well, why am I blanking on the coach? The very famous uh, quote for I think it's Angelo Dundee. I'm gonna double check this because I don't want to be. A complete goober about this one. Yeah, it was Angelo Dundee. Um, as the fight, the first fight between Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns is going into the championship round, last couple of rounds. 
Dundee looks at a very tired, fairly battered Leonard. I mean, the fight was certainly competitive, but Leonard was down on the scorecards at that point. And tells him, you're blowing it. And it was what Leonard needed to hear. He was able to kind of push through as Thomas Hearn started fading. I mean, that's a tremendous fight. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the same corner that Red Lad the Riot Act going into the third round of her fight with Yana Kunitskaya. And uh, Lad kind of came alive, took her down, and was able to force a stoppage. Uh, you know, it, it's just, you have to know how to get through to each individual fighter. You know, uh, look at, you know, Greg Jackson's a good example of this. Maybe one of the quintessential ones. Look at how he talks to George when he would corner George St. Pierre. How would he talk to George? Keep him calm. Keep him centered. Rein- positively reinforce him. You're doing great. Here's what we need to do a little bit differently. And, and then you're good. And it, that's how he would talk to George St. Pierre. Whenever he cornered Carlos Condit, if he... Uh, I mean, one of the great... One of the like kind of great bits of cornering that you'll see out of him in that respect was the fight between Condit and McDonald, Roy McDonald. Condit's down the first two rounds, and between round between rounds two and three, Jackson kind of gets in his face a little bit, tells him, "You, you want this? You got to finish him. This last round is about war, so get out there and get after it." And he did, and you know got a, a late round stoppage in that fight. So it's it's just trying to figure out how to how your fighter responds. So if Aspen Ladd responds to that uh, that kind of instruction in that particular space, then you get off the guy's back. Did I think people are responding a little bit negatively because he, most coaches, it's not that coaches never get exasperated with their fighters, uh, not at all. They tend not to show it to the degree that he did, I think. But, I mean, this was, it, it did not help that, Every between every round when they were able to get the cameras in, they pretty much only went to Lad's corner. I don't know if they had a translator issue or what, but they just they did a lot, spent a lot of time in that corner instead of the other one. Uh, yeah, I I think he's getting a bit too much flack. Now look, if there are some people, who, well, shouldn't he have given her technical advice? It's not that there's no technical advice being given. One, some of it was coming from the, the other coach who was not mic'd up. And two, there's a time for technical advice. It's not that it's bad, but if your fighter's out there, you know, shadow boxing passively like Lad was for the first three fight, three rounds, not fights, you know, you've giving them technical advice is not going is not necessarily going to help in that case. You've got to get them in the fight, and. Because if you're not there, you know, mentally, all the technical advice in the world, even if it's great advice, isn't going to mean anything if, you, if you're if you not there to engage, if you don't want to fight. And I'm not saying Lad didn't want to fight, but you've got to be there. You know, you have to be in the fight and you have to be willing to fight. And he spent the first couple of rounds just trying to get Lad to get out of first gear. And it's unfortunate, but... That's kind of the way it was. So I, I'm not coming down too hard on the guys. Kind of where I'm falling on that. Uh, I don't care what either one of them does next. Yeah, you know, I... Uh, I was watching Morning Combat, the YouTube show and podcast, uh, with Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. And one of their segments... The, I forget exactly which show this was, so forgive me. But 
Brian Campbell came up with, said like, hey, we know everything from 135 up is kind of bleh. You know, what if instead of women's, you know, we had, instead of women's bantamweight and women's featherweight, if you had one women's, if you had one heavier women's weight class that was 135 to 155, so you know, lowest you could weigh is 135, most is 155, and you just have the one weight class, you can throw everybody in there, and you just call it women's heavyweight. And, I mean, look, featherweight's not a division, right? You have a couple of people who moonlight there on occasion, and Amanda Nunes gets to have two belts. It's not a real division. Women's bantamweight is not great. There hasn't been a lot of, and I mean, this fight being kind of an example, Aspen Ladd was for a fair bit of time thought to be someone who could break through the rankings, you know, and it's just not there right now. I mean, if we look at the, let me bring up their rankings here real fast. Now, these have not been updated from the last fight, but I don't think it's going to matter that much. I mean, you're... Your top of bantamweight looks like this. You have champion Amanda Nunes. For the record, featherweight has no rankings. There's not enough people in that division to warrant it. Then one through... Let's do one through ten. Just because I don't feel like going much further down at the moment. Jermaine Durandamy, Holly Holm, Aspen Ladd, Irene Aldana, Juliana Pena, Yana Kunitskaya, Ketlin Vieja, Misha Tate, Raquel Pennington, and Sarah McMahon. That sound healthy to you people? I mean... So you've got Jermaine, Holly, Misha, Raquel, and Sarah. All of them are, like, they've been here forever. I think a really long time those people have been, those women have been in this, just in the game and kind of hanging out around this spot. You need divisional turnover. Now, it this is not professional wrestling where someone is, you know, politicking to keep you down, you've got to go out there and win fights. If you want to take Holly's spot in the rankings, you have to beat her. But if no one's coming along that's doing that, that's a problem too. Now, I don't know how much, again, there's only so much the UFC can do. They can't script finishes, but that's a problem. You know, that's still a problem. So, Point being, I, I don't think it was the worst idea in the world to throw that into one weight class and just say you can't weigh more than 155. So I, I don't know. It, it, would anyone object? It's kind of the other thing here. Would anyone care? I mean, for a bunch of those women, it just means you don't have to cut as much weight. And if you're, I mean, look, this is one of the things that nobody likes talking about when the weight cutting discussion gets brought up, and it's somewhat related to Lad, given her. She's had a couple of issues now where she's really struggled to make weight and talked a little bit about that last week. But it, you want to fix you want to fix weight cutting? Put air quotes around that. Fix it. Here's the reality, guys. More weight classes. And that sucks. You don't you don't want I mean you, you really kind of the boxing model of like a a weight class every five pounds is, I don't know that you want that, but if you want to, this is the, you know, this is the truth. If you want to fix weight cutting, it's not, oh, guys need to fight at their natural weight. What is their natural weight? What they walk around at? 
you know, suddenly every everybody who currently fights at bantamweight would be fighting at lightweight. Uh, there would be no bantamweights. You know how many people walk around at 135 pounds? I mean, it's not nobody, but it's not a lot. Okay, maybe they wouldn't all be at lightweight, but they'd certainly all be at... They'd probably be close to lightweight, actually. A lot of them are probably 150, 150... Between 160 and 150 in their walk-around. Again, not all of them, but probably a chunk. Then again, when you get smaller, it's a little bit harder. Probably around 150-ish. So, I mean, which is technically lightweight. Like, lightweight is 146 to 155. Like, that's the lightweight division. I imagine most of them weigh somewhere in that vicinity when they're just they're just walk around weight. So I don't. I mean, you, then you have you know one's alleged you know hydration monitoring and you're not allowed to cut weight and ugh, I don't want to get into one's BS. But more weight classes is a more reasonable easily applicable solution you could pretty much i mean you'd have to get the individual you'd have to get the the ufc doesn't even have this problem because they are the ones who decide the titles i mean they have to get them they get them sanctioned by the individual state the individual uh athletic commissions and whatnot governing bodies sanctioning bodies but that's not the nevada state it's not the nevada state athletic commission's Light, MMA light heavyweight title to the UFCs. If the UFC decided that, I mean, there's a bunch of states that now, a bunch of commissions that recognize the uh, the 175 pound, that, that will recognize 165, or you know, welterweight being at 175, uh, and the UFC just doesn't care because they can do what they want. If the UFC wanted to implement more weight classes, that's a that's easy. And if you want to if you want to fix weight cutting, more weight classes is one of the most consistently realistic fixes that there is. Now, it's not a total fix. Some people are just going to there might be I've said this before. There are other guys who are small for the weight class right now that maybe can't cut 10 pounds, but maybe they could cut five more. And that might still be dangerous, but they're going to give it a but you know, that's that's not something you're ever going to get rid of. Not as long as there are weight classes for combat sports. Unless we do everything open weight, and boy, what a disaster that would be. Uh, this is the way it is. But you could add more. That's that's a real way to try and combat weight cutting. And no one likes talking about it because nobody wants a weight class every five pounds. And I'm not saying I disagree with that. There, there are hazards to it, but... If you want a solution, something like that. So if you're worried about some of the women cutting weight, say anywhere between 135 and 155 and you're good to go. And that would not, that would, weight cutting for those, for that upper bound, for the top end limit there, the top end weight class in the UFC would not be, I would guarantee almost would not be a problem anymore. Uh, so, like I, said, I don't really care what either of them does next. They'll probably try to rebook Dumont and Holm, depending on Holmes' injury. Uh, I I don't care. Ladd will probably take a hit in the rankings, but she was coming off a pretty significant layoff anyway. I mean, her last fight was the Kunitskaya one, and she had a pretty serious knee injury. She'd been out for almost two years. Like, 
I don't know exactly what you do with her next, but she'll get another fight against someone probably ranked because that's the way this goes. Uh, terrible fight. One of the worst fights of the year from the UFC. Co-main event. This fight also sucked. Andre Arlovsky defeats Carlos Felipe via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Arlovsky wins the first two, drops the third. Felipe then gets pissed about the scoring because he's an idiot. I, I shouldn't say he's an idiot. Uh, his coaches and his coaching staff thought he won the second. I don't like, I'll forgive a coach lying to their fighter about who won a round. If, if they need, if your fighter needs to hear that they won the round to kind of keep in their proper headspace and still get the best out of themselves. Cool. You're, the job of a coach is not to be honest. The job of a coach is to get the best out of their fighter. If that means lying to them, then uh, there's a, f- I just, I'm not going to get bent out of shape about that. Uh, but he didn't win that second round. Not on any judges' scorecards. I don't think I've seen anyone score that second round for Felipe. Third round, Arlovsky's kind of tiring at this point. Some body shots have started adding up. He's able to force more of his fight. Wins the round. But, you know, you win fights by winning more rounds than your opponent. Arlovsky won two rounds. That's how this works. Uh... Not a good fight, but, you know, I'll give Arlovsky credit, man. I was one of those people almost 10 years ago after he got flatlined in Bellator by Sergei Karatanov. How long ago was that? I want to be sure. Yeah, February of 11, over 10 years ago. I was one of the people after that saying this guy should retire. He'd lost four in a row. Three of them were pretty brutal knockouts. And... He kept... Uh, sorry, that wasn't Bellator. That was Strikeforce. Strikeforce. Uh, and he kept his nose to the grindstone. Got back. You know, was uh, Fought in some of the early World Series of fighting events. Uh, got back to the UFC. Weathered a pretty long losing streak again. I mean, when he lost to Marcin Tabora in 2017 to complete a five-fight losing streak. Four of those finishes. I kind of went, maybe we should be done here, too. Won a couple. Lost. Went winless in his next four fights. Uh, and then the UFC did him a favor and dropped him down in in uh, class. Like, he's not fighting. If you look at the guys he lost to, if we run through this real fast, since his return to the UFC, he has lost to the following people. Stipe Miocic. Uh, that was the win that would get Stipe his title shot and win against Verdum. Alistair Overeem would go on to challenge for the title. Josh Barnett, Francis Ngannou, current champion, Marcin Tabora, top-ranked fighter. Won a couple, lost to Tai Tuivasa. That was a pretty bad loss. Shamil Abdurahimov, not a name that pops up a whole lot, but usually a ranked fighter. Technically lost to Walt Harris, top contender. Uh, Dropped a split decision to Augusto Sakai, who might still turn out to be something, but another ranked guy. Beats Ben Rothwell. Uh, fights rising prospect slash contender Jarzinho Rosenstrick and gets knocked out in 30 seconds. Then he starts fighting. He beats Felipe Linz. He beats Tanner Bozer. He loses to Tom Aspinall. Then he he wins his next two, Chase Sherman and Carlos Felipe. So his only losses are to guys who are, you know, ranked, and some of them who are ranked and like fought for the belt or became champion. So the UFC at this point is just kind of throwing him at... He, he's a gatekeeper. And I don't mean that pejoratively. He's, I mean, 
God, Andre in this sport is old as dirt. It's 54 fights. He's one of the few guys still in the UFC who made his professional debut before 9-11. His professional debut was April 9th, 1999. His UFC debut was in the year 2000. Because he had a long UFC career, left the UFC, then came back to it. And that's where he is now. I mean... The guy's been around, and he's found a way to to still win. He's turning back some of the young guys that the UFC is curious to see where they stand. You know, you've got someone like, you know, Bozer, who's looked pretty good and has a couple of dynamic finishes. All right, fight Andre Arlovsky. If you can beat Arlovsky at this point in time, we know where you stand. If you lose, we know where you stand, too. So he's able to maintain a degree of... Uh, longevity and success. So that that does and that deserves credit. Speaking of being around forever and deserving credit, at lightweight, Jim Miller knocked out Eric Gonzalez 14 seconds into the second round. I this was look my affection for Jim Miller is well documented at this point. I was around when there was a real argument that he was one of the best lightweights in the world. Again, you guys who are new to the sport may not know this, but in at the end of 2010, Jim Miller submitted Charles Oliveira with a knee bar to advance his career to 19 and 2. Then he beats Kamal Shalarus, goes to 20 and 2 professionally in 2011. At that point, he had lost to exactly two men in his entire career. One of them, when they were on the uh, regional scene in in the Northeast and the uh, they were fighting out of Atlantic City, the event, was a guy who would become one of the best, Frankie Edgar. Then in the UFC, his only loss was to Gray Maynard, who would go on to challenge for the lightweight title a few different times. Those were the only two guys that beat him. Then he starts kind of more on the downside of his career. Well, it starts sliding downhill because he fights Benson Henderson after that Kamal Shalarus fight. And that was the time when Benson Henderson was a man possessed. He rebounds, he beats Gallard, he loses to Nate Diaz, he beats Joe Lozon in 2012 in the best fight of that year. Loses to Pat Healy, that's overturned. Beats Fabricio Camoys, beats Yancey Medeiros. I mean, the guys just fought everybody. He debuted for the UFC in 2008. Uh, I mean, the man's name is littered across the record books. For good reason. Uh, he's Jim Miller's the man. It's a shame he never got to fight for the belt. Because there was a period of time when he absolutely deserved a shot at the belt. I don't know that I would have picked him to win. But you get you know, Jim Miller kind of at his peak. That, you know, 09, 10, 11. Like that area. Against Frankie Edgar at that period in time. Woo. I mean, again... Is Jim, would I pick him? I don't know. Probably not. But tell me that wouldn't have been a great fight. That would have been an amazing fight. And watching him now at 38 years old, just still kind of grinding it out in the UFC. He wants to get to 40 UFC appearances. He's at 38 now. He'll probably get there. Uh, He kind of jokingly said he wants to be the only guy who, because he's one of only two people who fought on UFC 100 and UFC 200. The other being Brock Lesnar. 
And he wants to fight at UFC 300. Now, given the UFC's schedule that loosely plans out to... Uh, so we're at 260, you do about 12 a year. We're probably looking like 2025-ish, give or take. I don't know how feasible that is. I really don't. But that man has more than enough goodwill to potentially make it... Uh, it wouldn't shock me, let's put it like that. But he's 38 and he's fighting at lightweight and he's still out there and he still is willing to go for it pretty much every time, so... And my hat's off to Jim Miller. It was a wonderful finish. His opponent, Eric Gonzalez, went southpaw for nebulous reasons, then just threw the world's worst axe kick with his lead leg. Hands came down. Miller is a natural southpaw. Slipped inside. Perfect punching lane for the left hand. Right down the pipe. Boom. And slept him with one punch. Uh, they had a good... They had a pretty... They had a fairly back and forth first round, but a good round... Uh, Miller got a little bit, he got tagged a little bit at part of the first round, but he rebounded, came back, won the round, I thought. Uh, had a nice flurry at the end of the first to kind of cap that off. So, you know, Jim Miller's still chugging along, man, and good for him. Uh, I, the man is, he's not going to get the credit he deserves in some respects because his record is a little bit up and down. And that happens when you fight everybody. You know, he's some of the guys he's lost to have been the very best. Some of them, you know, you might kind of question the the decision to accept some of the fights, but you know, for a guy who had Lyme disease for as long as he did too, that kind of wrecked him physically. Uh, it was a feel-good moment for me as a longtime watcher of this sport to watch Miller kind of. Uh, have this moment of glory. So, feel good moment. Uh, women's flyweight Menon Fior defeated Maria Buena Silva via unanimous decision 130-26, which I thought was a little bit dubious. Uh, I don't think the, the I think the second round is probably the only one you could make the argument, and I don't know. I, I didn't agree with that, but and two thirty twenty sevens. Uh, Fior clear winner. Uh, Silva did a lot of the kind of cup. She, it's not like she didn't have a defensive answer for a lot of what Fioro did. That's me, Fior. She had a good high guard, and Fior just kept punching at the head, which was a bit of an odd decision. Uh, but you know, Silva didn't do a lot of cage cutting, which was a problem. Uh, she just kind of kept following, and even if she's blocking punches, she's still getting... She didn't throw enough not say she didn't throw at all but if your primary source of concern is the opponent's punches and then you try to you know cover up for the three punches that come at you and uh fior would do you know same three punches over and over again and then if silva tried to close distance after those punches she'd throw a sidekick to the body to keep her at distance which is a nice way to score i suppose but a sidekick to the body uh, unless you hit it just right, it, it's a tool for managing distance. And it's a good tool for managing distance if you know how to do it. And clearly she does. Unless you hit someone in just the right spot at just the right time, you're probably not, get, especially a professional, you're probably not going to really hurt them with that. 
Not impossible, but unlikely. But uh, I think for Fiora, the lack of adaptation to what Silva was doing was a problem. I mean, she won the fight, clearly. But if you're throwing punches at your opponent and all you're doing is going for the head and your opponent starts just coming in with a high guard, you've got to be able as a fighter to make the adjustment to go, okay, their body's open, that's where I'm going to switch my targeting to. And that's not really a thing she ever did. So she's still a very... That might sound like I'm kind of trying to uh, dump on her. I'm, I'm really not. She looked good. She's run through her opponents thus far. She is a... She might be a real problem for that. She is a real problem for the vast majority of that division. She could be a problem for the top of that division. There's a few things that still need to be ironed out, but if she's able to do so, she's someone to pay attention to. Look, Flyweight is finally starting to gain a little bit of traction, and she's she's not someone to play around with. So she got a pretty solid win here, so good for her. Kicking off the main card, Nate Landwehr defeated Ludovic Klein via Anaconda Choke submission, 222 of the third. Uh, Klein was doing fine when they were technical. The uglier Landwehr made it, the less Klein was able to deal with it. He seems to ha- That seems to be a bit of a problem for him more generally. And, you know, Landwehr just figured that out, kept applying pressure, kept it ugly, kept it in the clinch, kept it high-paced and gnarly, and... Uh, he tried the anaconda choke earlier in the third, couldn't find it. It was either the third or the end of the second, I can't remember which. But it was a, he rushed the setup, it wasn't quite there, Klein defended. Second time around, he was able to get the angle properly and choked him out. A solid, solid enough win from Landry, it's a decent little fight. As for the prelims, Bruno Silva defeated Andrew Sanchez via TKO, punches three, excuse me, 235 of the third. I have said this for years about Andrew Sanchez, because I've watched his entire UFC career. His cardio is a problem. This is not the first time it has utterly abandoned him in the third round of a fight after he won the previous two rounds. If you would like other examples, his fight with Anthony Smith. That was one of Smith's kind of big big wins that got him notoriety. He dropped the first two rounds, Smith did, and then head kicked him in the third. The Ryan Janes fight, same thing. Uh, The Marvin Vittori fight, he just kind of got out-wrestled by Vittori. Uh, But look, the fight right before this, Mahmoud Muradov, who's a very good fighter. Sanchez, I think he had the first two rounds, or at least one of them, and then the second was competitive, and he just kind of falls apart in the third, and Muradov knocks him out with a flying knee. Murdov loses his last fight. Yeah, the Murshart fight. Where, you know, in fairness, in that fight, Murdov got a little bit too antsy, gassed out himself, and that's not where you want to be against Gerald Murshart. But th- this is a problem that has dogged Andrew Sanchez for his entire UFC run. And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, he clearly works hard. He, he very clearly does. I, I'm not accusing him of being a lazy fighter or a lazy trainer. He has gone out of his way to try and address this. It's just... I I don't know if there's a slight tweak in methodology that needs to be done. I don't know if he needs to adjust his fighting style. He fights a labor-intensive style, and he's a pretty big guy. 
and maybe what he does is just not really sustainable for him physically. Yeah, that that uh, that was one of the most fascinating things about. Uh, I bring this up because Sanchez, if you watch the second round in particular, was fighting a, was doing a lot of the stuff that Khabib does from a control standpoint, not from a damage standpoint. The the style of fighting that Khabib Nurmagomedov employed was unbelievably labor intensive. I mean, it's not like it's not like Khabib never had rounds that he kind of took off because what he does, the way he fought, was very very taxing. And Sanchez might just be trying to use a style that he can't sustain for long enough to see success. And it, I mean, this is a documented problem at this point. If you make him fight for the first two rounds, if you make him work, if he's able to do his thing, then sure. Anybody can fight for the full three rounds doing their own thing at their own pace. Anybody. But if you make him fight, if you make him work for it, if you make him mat return you, if you make him have to constantly be up and down with you, over and over and over again. Uh, he struggles when that third round comes along. He just does. So, I don't, again, I don't know exactly what the solution is, but that's going to be a pretty big limiter on his on his ceiling if he doesn't figure that out. Uh, solid comeback win for Silva, who I don't know enough. I can't really say whether or not he's going to be a player at middleweight, but He's a fairly large guy. He's got decent power, and you know, he he persevered through a tough first couple of rounds, and that's not nothing. Plenty of people would have been done mentally as well as, if if not more so than physically, at the end of that second round, and he wasn't. He came out in that third and needed the finish. Didn't help that he got kicked. I mean, that was the other thing. Sanchez basically cost himself this fight, not just with his cardio, but in the he there were. There was a couple of accidental groin strikes in, I think it was the first. And one of them was a little bit borderline. It was a knee that was kind of aimed at the belly, but the shin very clearly hit the groin. The other was just really unfortunate timing. Like, both men threw kicks at the same time, and and Silva caught it in the groin. And that sucks. It really does. But, again, if, if you're worried about intent, like, that was clearly not... Uh, Sanchez's intent. Third round, Sanchez exhausted kind of against the fence to try and keep Silva off him, tries to throw a push kick, a straight push kick, up the middle, and he's just too tired. He can't get his leg high enough, so he just kicks Silva in the groin. And at that point, you know, the ref took a point. Uh, from, a, from a round, he was already losing. Even if San... Now, there's an argument that Silva was on his way to a 10-8... You then factor in the point deduction, it becomes 10-7. And he might win, he might have won on the scorecards uh, (laughs) 28-27. Which would have been a heck of a thing. But, uh, he's just, again, I don't have a good answer for him. But, this is a problem he needs to address. And, good on Silva for being there mentally the whole way through. Because, if you break mentally after that second round doesn't matter that the other guy's dead tired. If you're not there for the fight, you're not going to capitalize. And he was. So, credit to him. 
Danny Roberts defeated Ramazan Emi via split decision. Oh, my God. There were two 29-28s, one each way, and then a 30-27 for Roberts, which is comical. I was 30-27 Emiv. Now, I want to be clear. I don't necessarily object to Roberts winning. The third round that I gave to Emiv, I'm, I'm really not sure about that on reflection. That round probably should have gone. That maybe could, maybe could have probably should have. If you say you gave that to Roberts, I'm not arguing. The second round, I thought Emiv should... I gave it to Emiv. But the second round was probably the closest of the fight, I seem to recall. Uh, I might be misremembering that, but the judge who gave Roberts the first. Like, what are you doing, buddy? Um, suck to see Amiv lose this one. Again, I thought he won. I I don't hate scoring at 29-28, Roberts. I don't agree, but I can at least see an argument with a couple of close rounds that, okay, maybe Roberts edged it. Um, 30-27, absolutely not. The first round was not close. Not that close. Like, we're not talking no, nowhere near 10-8, but that shouldn't have been... That should not have been a difficult round to score. Um, yeah. uh, let's see. Luana Carolina defeated Lupita Godinez via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the board. Um, Godinez, fastest turnaround in the modern era of the UFC. She fought seven days ago. Came around to fight here. Just couldn't deal with the size. Carolina's a fairly long flyweight anyway. And Godinez usually fights at strawweight. Godinez weighed 121 for this, I think. Uh, she, I mean, she tried. She, I think she won the first round. But uh, after that, uh, Carolina just kept, wasn't, she couldn't get another takedown. And she didn't have much on the feet to offer a significantly larger woman in Carolina. Uh, bantamweight, Dana Batgari defeated Brandon Davis via TKO, um, punches and elbows and whatnot. Uh, 201 of the first. Fun little fight here for as long as it lasted. Batkari is... Pay attention to that guy. Uh, he lost his UFC debut, but he's won three in a row since. All of them first round finishes. Uh, he's someone to pay attention to. And kicking everything off, Ariane Carnalose defeated Estela Nunes via rear naked choke. 257 of the third. Nunes had a good first round, but... She just, Carnalosi kept pressuring her forward, and Nunes didn't really have a whole lot to keep her off of her. Wasn't great about clinch breaking, so Carnalosi just kind of wore her down, got her down, got her back. And that's a wrap. Uh, yeah, so, ten fights, not a great card. Uh, the, the top two fights in particular were kind of duds. So... Thank you to everyone who followed that live or read after the fact. I appreciate you. I know some of these... Some of these smaller cards, you, uh, if you don't want to watch them, in some cases I don't blame you. I, I'm happy to at least be able to provide you with the results and my thoughts. So I thank you very much for that. Okay, let's... spend longer talking about that than I wanted to, but let's move on to UFC on ESPN plus 54. Uh, as far as pre... This won't take long. I, that's kind of why I want to do this before I talk about a few other things. 
Um, let's see. Main event. Relevant main event. Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori. Both gentlemen are coming off of failed bids to claim the middleweight title. Costa was stopped in the second round by Israel Adesanya. Vittori dropped a very, very clear unanimous decision at UFC 263. And along with one of the most... Uh, one of the weirdest game plans in general. And then some very weird implementation, especially down the stretch. Uh, so now they get to battle each other. I don't know if the winner will get the next title shot. Probably not. You've got Whitaker and Adesanya kind of loosely rescheduled for the beginning of 2022. Uh, and you, you've just got some other people kind of in the wings, I think, ahead of these guys. I might be mistaken about that, but... Uh, that said, this is uh, this is a pretty big clash of styles. Vittori doesn't mind a little bit of brawling, but he's more of a grinder. And I don't mean that disparagingly. That's just, he will punch you into the clinch, he will fight you in the clinch, he tries to get you down, he tries to work from top position. Costa is a guy who tries to get you out of there quickly. He likes bat... The interesting thing about Costa... Interesting... He's not that great in open space. Uh, he really needs you, his opponent to be against the fence. And if he gets them there, he's got power. He's got some decently varied offense in terms of body-to-head stuff. He's not just a headhunter. But he's not great about cage cutting. Uh, this has been something that's kind of... Again, this is a thing that's dogged him a little bit, even before Adesanya just kind of kind of clowned on him. Uh, if you watch his fight with Uriah Hall, he granted he got the stoppage in the second round, but that was a kind of a rough first round for him. Anytime Hall was able to stay off the fence, Costa didn't have a whole lot other than some body kicks on occasion to try and corral him, and that's all he had for Adesanya, too, and Adesanya was very well aware of that. Uh... I think the longer this goes, the more it will favor Vittori. I think Vittori is proven to be the much better fighter over distance, the longer the fight goes. But Costa's not an easy guy to be in the cage with. He's just not. Uh, I mean, suppose unless you're Israel Adesanya, but... I, I think I'm leaning Vittori here, ever so slightly. I mean, Costa's going to try to back him up. I think the problem is Costa likes to be in uh, such close proximity that Vittori's going to be able to clinch with him without too much difficulty. Whether he can get a bunch of takedowns or not remains to be seen. Uh, not a lot of people have tried all that hard to take uh, Paulo Costa down. Some of that's just been the way he was matched coming up. Uh, but Vittori will. Vittori will absolutely be testing his takedown defense. I expect we'll get a fair bit of uh, cage fighting, cage wrestling in this one. And I, I just think that style tends to favor Vittori, so I'm going to lean ever so slightly towards him, but uh, Paulo Costa is not... Again, he kind of clowned himself a little bit with what he with some of the stuff post uh, after his loss to Adesanya, but uh, he's... He's not someone to trifle with. He will march you down, and he will swing power at you, and guys like that can be tough to beat. Oh. 
Lean Vittori. Um, the rest of this is going to be a lot quicker. Because I... I don't care a whole lot about the majority of this. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Um, let's see. Grant Dawson will fight Rick Glenn. At lightweight. Um, Dawson is undefeated in the UFC. Had that really... Had that last-minute stoppage against Leonardo Santos. How long ago was that? Back in March. Yeah, that was 4.59 of the third. Um, anyway, and Rick Glenn... Had a decent enough win in his last fight when he knocked out uh, Joachim Silva. Uh, I'm going to... I think I'm going to favor Dawson, but Glenn is the kind of gritty, durable veteran that will put a young guy in, in his place like that, and Dawson is... Only 27, and less than 20 fights into his career. Only has one loss, though, to his credit. But that's... So I, I'm leaning Dawson, but this is this is a pretty significant acid test for him. Uh, women's Bantamweight, Jessica Rose Clark and Jocelyn Edwards. I tend to favor Clark here. Uh, she's been out for a while, though. A little over a year. Um... I mean, Edwards wasn't really any... I want to make sure I'm remembering who she is correctly. Because if I'm thinking of somebody else, this that might have an effect on my pick here. Um, Jocelyn Edwards from the Dominican... Uh, Pan oh, okay. Yeah, she's, she's the Panamanian fighter. Yeah, I'm going to favor Clark. Again, just a little bit. Uh, let's see. Alex Caceres and Sung Woo Choi. Alex Caceres, man. Just still kicking around. On a four-fight winning streak. Hmm. Whereas Choi... Lost his first two in the UFC on a three-fight winning streak since then. A pretty good stoppage he had over Julian Arosa. Um... This is a decent um, kind of sh potential showcase fight for Choi. He's got good boxing. What is that going to match up with? I'm going to lean towards Choi just a little bit, but uh, this is another... we got a few guys on here who are just kind of getting their, getting a serious acid test. And Choi's another one. Caceres is... The man's never going to be the best fighter in the UFC. And there was a time when he was arguably the worst. But he's not there anymore. He's just a decent mid-level gatekeeper at this point. I don't even think he's ever going to be ranked again. I don't think he ever was, actually. To double-check that. But uh, he's he's a stern test. You know, he's he's turned back some guys recently, so... If you if he's the guy standing across the cage from you, you better be prepared to bring it. Welterweight Dwight Grant and Francisco Trinaldo. Masaranduba. Boy, speaking of guys still kicking around. Um, Grant, 3-2 and two in the UFC. Boy, Daniel Rodriguez, I remember that. Daniel Rodriguez knocked the crap out of him. Uh, Trinaldo... Lost to Muslim Salikov his last fight. 
I, you know what, might be sentimental, a little bit sentimental on my part, I'm going to pick Trinaldo. I mean, again, speaking of old guys still kicking around, you know, Trinaldo is 43, fighting at you know, most of his career at lightweight. A little bit at middleweight, actually. He's he taken a fight or two there throughout his career. But most of it lightweight. Uh, I mean, he debuted in 2006. Uh, professionally, so another guy's just been around forever. He's been in the UFC since 2012. He took that fight. He took that fight up at middleweight on short notice against Delson Heleno. And some of you guys may not remember Delson Heleno. I do. He was a pretty big deal coming out of the IFL, and Trinaldo uh, stopped him in the first round. Up that many weight classes against a guy with some hype. Heck of a performance. So, I'm going to favor Trinaldo there, but you know, we'll have to kind of see. Uh, light heavyweight fight, Nikolai Negromarianu and Ike Villanueva. Oh, God. I'm going to have to type one of those names out over and over again. I mean, I know I'm, it's going to be Villanueva, because I'm not going to try and type out uh, Negromarianu, the Romanian gentleman here, who lost his UFC debut... Rebounded by beating Alexa Kamer. I feel... I mean, Villanueva is... Oh, I think he's got one win in the UFC. Yeah. Uh, he is one in three. Uh, ah, he's a tough guy, though. I might lean Villanueva. Yeah, I think I'm I, I, I'm going to lean towards him, but I have no confidence in that. That's your main card. As for the prelims, oh, we got a long card. Uh, Junyong Park and Gregory Rodriguez. Let's see, Park... Uh, lost his UFC debut, but has gone 3-0 and since. Uh, he had that... <laughs> yeah, he had that that win over Tafan Njokwi. Uh, <laughs> was funny. I shouldn't laugh, but, uh, was funny. And I think Rodriguez is making his debut. I can... Find him here. No, he's he beat Dushko Todorovic in his UFC debut earlier this year. Hmm. I think I'm going to favor Park, but that one might wind up surprising some people. Lightweight, Alain Patrick will fight Mason Jones. Uh, Patrick, another guy who's been around... Given that he's only, he's got less than 20 fights, you might not believe that he debuted in 2008, but he did. Um, he's just been he had long periods of inactivity when he was dealing with injuries and stuff like that, and it's a shame because that man had a pretty good run at different points in time that were just completely undone by uh, these issues. Um, he was losing that fight. He was losing that Mason Jones fight. 
I mean, look, the guy got poked in the eye and couldn't continue, and I'm not accusing him of anything related to that. But speaking just about the, I'm not accusing him of you know looking for a way out or that he was you know being a you know, a coward or anything like that, because dude got poked in the eye. There was no dispute about that. But he was getting worked. <laughs> that was not going his way. Wait, is this a rematch of that fight? I think it is. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah I, given how their last fight was going, I have no problem uh, leaning towards Mason Jones here. Um, did that change? Getting conflicting notes here. That might be off. I'm going to assume that it's on. I, I can't find a big thing about that. So if it, if it's on yet, yeah, I pick Jones pretty easily. Uh, women's strawweight, Tabitha Ricci and uh, Maria de Oliveira, de Oliveira Neta. Jeez, anything to say about this one? I think they're both debuting. Um, Let's see, Ricci is five and one. No, she got. Oh yeah, no, no, she got beat up by Madon Fior in her UFC debut uh, back in June. Oliveira, I think, is debuting. Yes. Um, hmm. probably gonna lean toward, I don't know, do I lean towards Ricci? Sure, I mean, I, I don't know enough about either of these women to make a really educated pick. I'll lean towards Ricci. Uh, Jamie Pickett and Loriano, Loriano Staropoli. Uh, Staropoli, oof, three-five losing streak, man. Not a good spot for him guy that some of us, you know, had a bit of our eye on. Uh, he's in kind of a must-win scenario now. Uh, whereas Pickett uh, has gone 0-2 in the UFC. He's got a win, too. So, both guys in kind of a must-win scenario. I might lean towards Pickett. I think I've liked a little bit more what I've seen out of him. Uh, let's see. Kama Worthy and Jai Herbert. Worthy, oof. Rough couple of fights. Otman Izatar and Jamie Malarkey both stopped him in the first round. Uh, Herbert, somewhat by contrast, has gone 0-2 in the UFC. Losing to Francisco Trinaldo and Hanato Moicano. He's changing... Still lightweight? Um, I'll pick Worthy. Yeah, Herbert... Uh, that Moicano fight in particular did not look all that great. At flyweight, Jeff Molina and Daniel Lacerda. Probably lean towards Molina. Um, let's see. Molina is 9-2. and two. Yeah, won his UFC debut uh, earlier this year. 
Lacerda, 11 and 1. He's also fought in the UF. I think he's fought in the UFC before, hasn't he? No? Why do I know his name? That's really weird. Oh, oh. His the yeah, his last fight, he knocked out uh Rodrigo Serafian and I think that's where I know him from. I'm still going to lean towards Molina, but uh, that's not a bad fight. In women's strawweight, Livia Hanata Souza and Randa Marcos. Uh, boy, Souza has not had the best run in the UFC lately. She was stopped by Amanda Lemos in her last fight. Marcos, well, boy. Uh, Marcos on a bit of a losing streak, four in a row. That's slightly saved by the fact that her last fight was, uh, she was disqualified for an illegal upkick. Um, but she, this is a little bit of a, look, look, I'm not saying Sosa's in danger of being cut, but if she wants to be relevant, this is a must win for her. Uh, Marcos needs the win to save her job, to be candid. Uh... I'm probably going to lean Sosa. I think Marcos has just kind of been figured out at this point. And Jonathan Martinez was supposed to have a fight here. Who is he supposed to fight? Aaron Phillips. Uh, we'll see if that gets... If he gets a rescheduled opponent or not. We don't have any word on that at the moment. So, yeah, that is the card, such as it is. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Yeah, 13 fights. So... Possibly 14 if Martinez gets an opponent. Uh, could be. I have no problem picking Martinez in the dark, for the record. I'd, uh, he's been a bit up and down in the UFC, but uh, he's when he's on, he's quite good. So I don't mind picking him against someone they're going to get on short notice. So that will be the event this coming Saturday in the MMAZona411mania.com. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, last thing I want to touch on before we move on to news. A little bit of results from Bellator. I'll just kind of tack this on here. Um, Bellator had uh, Bellator 268 this last Saturday. And the relevant portions of this come out of their light heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, Bellator light heavyweight champion... Vadim Nemkov, one of the best light heavyweights in the world that you'd probably, you might not have heard of. Maybe familiarize yourself with him. He's a, he's a really good fighter. Um, he fought a late notice replacement. Um, not, sorry, not late notice. Uh, he fought the tournament stand-in. This was supposed to be Nemkov and Anthony Johnson. Uh, unfortunately, Rumble had some kind of uh, health issue. Apparently a pretty serious one. And he had to withdraw. So Julius Anglicus stepped in to fight him. Gave Nemkov a, a, Nemkov a bit of a scare in the first round. Uh, rattled him a little bit, but Nemkov recovered and just... The rest of that fight was not close until Nemkov tapped him out in the fourth round. Uh, Nemkov is a beast. The other side of the bracket, the other semifinal, Bellator heavyweight champion and former light heavyweight champion Ryan Bader against Corey Anderson. Uh... <sighs> That went so badly for Ryan Bader. Uh, it was first round, right? Yeah, less than a minute. Um, look, I said this, and... I said this when Bader 
won the heavyweight title. Uh, when he beat... Who did he beat to do that? Was that Fedor? It was kind of the end of that tournament. Yeah, then he deta- he retained it on a no contest against Chuck Congo. Shock. It was due to an eye poke, but I can't remember who got poked. It doesn't matter. Probably, look, Chuck Congo is one of the dirtiest fighters in the game. It was probably him that did the eye poking. But after that, he went back down. He was a double champion at that point. He was light heavyweight and heavyweight. And I, along with others, and I have, I, I can, I can provide receipts for this if I didn't talk about it too much here. I, I'm not. This is not me looking back after the fact and saying, I called something. I said him coming back down to light heavyweight might be a. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. He was always a large light heavyweight, and if he actually bulked up to be a heavyweight, and he looks like he did, that just didn't seem like a wise move for him to come back down. And he then gets head kicked by Vadim Nemkov in the second round. He decides to stick around at light heavyweight to try and win the title back. Wins a boring decision against Lyoto Machida. Uh, in the opening round, and then here, he 51 seconds, Anderson is able to kind of kind of clubs him behind the ear with a punch and then just swarms him on the ground to force the stoppage. Um, I I just said that you know, going back to 205 after being a heavyweight for a while like Bader was, not a really great idea. And that's kind of been borne out here. You know, losing not only losing the belt, but then you know, again you're kind of meh performance against Machida and just getting run over here. You know, the guy's 38 now. Because we're dealing with you know, uh, light heavyweight and heavyweight, they, the age is different, right? Like you, uh, some people in those weight classes, you, know, you you don't have to be sounding the alarm bells at 38. Like you do in, you know, welterweight or lightweight. Like by the time you're 38 at 155, like Jim Miller, God bless him, you know, you're not, you're not a champion at all. You know, like you're not going to be a contender. That's just not where you are. That's not quite as true for heavyweight and light heavyweight. You can age. You know, I mean, Glover Teixeira is about to fight for the belt, and he's, you know, 40. How old is Glover? Actually, because. I was like, yeah, he's 41. So, <laughs> it's not just the age. It's the age, it's the weight cut, it's the miles. You know, the guy's had almost 40 fights. Uh, some of those have been, some of those have been rough fights, too. They just have. Uh, so, I'm not calling for the guy to retire at all, but maybe focus on heavyweight. I don't think 205 is going to happen for you again at this point. So that brings us to the final that will take place a little bit later. Vadim Nemkov, who is the champion, has been defending the championship throughout the tournament, and Corey Anderson. I said when they announced this thing that my I was going to pick Nemkov because I, I've watched... He's one of the guys I go out of my way to watch. And he's he's a really good fighter. Corey Anderson has looked pretty darn good since coming to Bellator. I mean, he was a very good UFC fighter. Uh, he just had money issues, and I don't... Look, he said that he's made more in his couple of Bellator fights than his entire UFC career. I don't have too much of a problem believing that, actually. You know, he came in out of the Ultimate Fighter, 
and anyone who comes into the UFC off of the Ultimate Fighter has a pretty crappy contract. I mean, kind of the same thing with the Contender Series, guys. That's why they fight so quickly. They That first contract is, you know, 12 and 12 or something like that. I, I don't know exactly what they are. But they're not great. You're so They fight a lot to try and get out from under that first contract because it's a set number of fights, and once you're done with that or as you're approaching the end of that, you can maybe renegotiate. Uh, so he came out of the Ultimate Fighter, and he was up in... I mean, to some of the UFC's point there, I mean, look, the man deserved more money, all fighters do. He was also a bit up and down. He lost some fights that set him back, pretty much. Uh, he seems happier now, and I... You knock yourself out, man. I, I don't I don't have any really hard feelings towards Corey Anderson. I don't have any reason to. So if he's happy, he's making more money. Again, man, Godspeed and party on. You keep doing you. I won't be shocked if he wins. Is kind of the point I'm getting to there. Won't be shocked. Uh, I, I favor Nemkov, but he said. Anderson's a good fighter. So that should be a pretty good man. Don't be shocked if uh, Anderson wins that whole thing. That should be a pretty good title fight. Uh, let's see. Uh, all right, let's move on very briefly because uh, I have to talk about this, I suppose, because it happened. So today, apparently Sunday, October 17th, Reports are coming out of Italy. I think out of Italy, but Conor McGregor seems to have punched some DJ and broken his nose. Um, I'm I'm not surprised. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, a couple of weeks removed from John Jones having a pretty serious incident, and to the point where uh, uh, one of his coaches, uh, Mike Winklejohn said, you know, John, until you get this kind of sorted out, I, I can't have you in the gym. I have my daughters here, and I teach you know, some women's self-defense classes, and with these allegations of your behavior, I, I until this gets sorted out, I, you can't be in the gym. Now, a few of the other coaches from there are still going to continue working with John, just at a different location. But, uh, I don't know, almost like Connor... Uh, decided he had to be back in the headlines, so he punched some DJ. And again, the the nose break at this point is alleged. Uh, I think I'd have to double check, but like, what are we doing here, guys? Come on, well, Connor. What are you th what are you throwing punches at a DJ for? I mean, just uh, it wasn't so sad. And had so much historical precedent. I mean, th that's why you kind of have to laugh. Like, anybody who's been around combat sports long enough, you've seen this. You've seen this over and over and over again. It's just, uh, I, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say here other than to say that Conor McGregor did something really stupid and criminal. Potentially, potentially criminal. Again. Ugh. So, yeah, there's that, I suppose. Um, this a little bit also on the heels of 
Uh, Luis Pena was released by the UFC. He was arrested again. I, I almost talked about this last week, but I didn't have quite... It kind of broke around the time this happened, but it didn't break in enough outlets for me to really uh, have done you know, necessarily enough due diligence on it. But Pena was arrested for the second time in like a matter of weeks. Uh, this time for uh, essentially dom- I mean, domestic violence and a few other... I mean, it was never just one thing. I forget the specific, but you know, a couple of different things that just kind of ultimately boiled down to... Incident, uh, another incident of domestic violence, and two of those in rapid proximity to each other, and the UFC cut the guy. And I don't blame them, and look, if you're one of these people going, well, then shouldn't they have cut John Jones? You can make that argument. And frankly, I, I'm i not going to disagree with you all that much if your argument is... And if the UFC wants fighters of a certain moral standard, I, I will laugh at you a little bit, if that's your argument. Most fighters, most people who get into combat sports, if you if this is your profession, like most of these people, and I don't mean this pejoratively, like they got issues. They're they're not nice people, a lot of them. You know, they, they've got friends and they've got family. And I'm not trying to say that you know, fighters are. That they shouldn't be allowed to fight, or that uh, but think about the kind of people, and this is true of boxing as well. This is not me this is not just an MMA thing. Who fights for money? I mean, really think about this. Like by the time you get really good, you know you fight because you're really good and you're making millions of dollars. okay. Who starts fighting for money? Sometimes people just want to compete. Sometimes you're really hard up for money. Sometimes you've got you know, another kind of really hard situation. Sometimes you've got an issue, uh, be that emotional or kind of personality issue, and fighting just kind of appeals to you. And again, not all of these are, this is not to say that these are all you know villains that do this, but you... there's a reason if you look at a lot of people who have spent a lot of time around fighters, there's there's a reason that the people that they go out of their way to say these are the good ones should pay attention to that. Uh, so I... The point being there, if you're looking for, you know, high moral character out of people who fight for a living, you're not... I won't say you'll never find it, it is the exception. Uh, it, it really is the exception. So, again, if your point is, you know, you've got John who's been arrested a few different times, and in the late wake of this latest incident, the UFC should fire him because he's too much of a headache and a PR nightmare, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, the guy can't get out of his own way in that particular respect, and I hope he gets the help he needs. And, you know, sort of ditto for Pena. It's it's just unfortunate, but, you know, there is... Uh, I... And, I don't know. I mean, the UFC is... The UFC is perpetually trying to deal with the, the PR related to what they do. And, you know, they're owned by a publicly traded company now. Right? And, 
Endeavor is something you can buy stock in. They're going to have to look at some of this stuff a little bit differently than, you know, boxing, who cares? I, I shouldn't say who cares in the sense that there's, you know, not a real human cost to some of this stuff, but I mean, was it, I think it was Tank Davis not all that long ago. It was like caught on film shoving, like potentially hitting his wife. Uh, and you, you don't like to see it. It's a terrible thing. It's an absolutely disgusting thing in some respects. Uh, but, you know, there's a million promoters in boxing. And when it comes to stuff like this, you know, Mike Tyson was a pretty big star <laughs> after he got out of, uh, out of jail. Uh, it's... That's just kind of the way boxing is. But boxing doesn't have the same... Is never, because of how it is structured versus how the UFC is structured at the moment, you're never going to have the same kind of PR concerns. The UFC does have those concerns. They have stockholders to answer to. And that changes the equation. How much and how much over time? Well, that remains to be seen. But it does change the equation. So... Uh, last thing here I have for news, then we'll get... Yeah, this this episode went on longer than I expected. Uh, UFC 269 has a finalized card. Uh, we knew the main event was going to be Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier for the UFC lightweight title. Heck of a fight. We have the rest of the main card now. Co-main event for the women's bantamweight title, Amanda Nunes against Juliana Pena. Okay, I mean... You, if you're going to keep Amanda Nunes on the roster, you're just gonna have to throw the next person up at her. And Pena is essentially the next person up. I favor Nunes very, very heavily. Welterweight fight, only three rounds, I believe. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I. Yeah, yeah, there was supposed they were originally looking at having um the flyweight title fight, the trilogy fight between Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo on this card. They moved that to UFC 270. Then we get Edwards and Masvidal instead. I don't know if they'll make Edwards and Masvidal five rounds. Um I tend to lean towards Edwards. Edwards is just really good about managing and winning rounds. It's not that he can't be hit and hurt, but if this is, if this, I would, I also favor Edwards more if this is only three rounds, though. If Masvidal knows it's only three rounds, he might come out like a bat out of hell. Uh, we'll have to, we'll just have to wait and see. My, my inclination at the moment is leaning towards Edwards, but that might change by the time we get there. And it, I might swing towards favoring Masvidal a bit if this is five. So, just because I think the way Leon Edwards fights... Those later rounds are a bit rough for him. You know, when he fought Donald Cerrone, Cerrone won rounds four and five. Uh, when he... He's had, like, hang on, he's had other five-round fights. Yeah, the Diaz... I mean, Nate Diaz got him... You know, had a pretty good fifth round there. Wobbled him. Um, the Rafael Dos Anjos fight. I'm trying to remember that one. He dropped the uh, the last round, I think it was. I think it was the fifth round. I'd have to rewatch the fight. 
So you go again. You kind of fade in the later in the fourth and fifth rounds against a guy like Masvidal. That could be really dangerous. Um, flyweight fight. Former bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt making his divisional debut against Kai Kara France. Good fight. I lean Garbrandt a little bit, I think, but that's more a stylistic thing than anything else. And kicking off the pay-per-view at bantamweight Holly and Paiva and Sean O'Malley. I have to applaud Sean O'Malley's honesty and transparency, if nothing else. Uh, he doesn't... He said publicly, I don't want to fight the top guys. And... Yeah, it's... He, he wants to fight... He wants to fight in that performances that will raise his stock enough to force the UFC's hand without having to go through the meat grinder of bantamweight. And look, that I might not find that, uh, you know, what, admirable, honorable to some degree, I suppose, maybe. But I, everyone's trying to do that. Like, everyone wants... You know, the ability you want to achieve the most with the lowest amount of risk. I'm not going to knock the guy for that. I think if he doesn't fight ranked opponents at bantamweight, that's going to put a pretty serious ceiling on him. But, I mean, you know, again, the best guy he's fought professionally was Marlon Vera, and Marlon Vera stopped him. So here he fights, uh, again, Hall now, Paiva isn't a pushover. He's on a three-fight winning streak, but he's not really. <laughs> like, this is kind of a setup uh, in that respect. So that's your main card for that. Also, other notable fights on that card. Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponzinibbio, great fight. Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz, darn good fight. Uh, Ryan Hall will be back in action against Derek Minner. I always like watching Ryan Hall. So, 269, shaping up to be a pretty good card. That'll be December 11th. That will be the UFC's... I don't think that's... Is that their last fight? Uh, that is not their last event of 2021. I think their last event will be... Uh, right now, it's set to be Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkins on the 18th. And I think that would be the last... Yeah, that would be the last of 2021 as the schedule is currently set up. Yeah, 269. Assuming that holds together, that's a solid pay-per-view. All right, on that note, let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy has happened, and if not, we will get out of here. All right, nope, so let's get into plugs then. Last week, there's my usual uh, slate of professional wrestling coverage. Uh, we also, most notably on the podcasting front, we there was a Damn You Hollywood featuring myself and Mark Radulich talking No Time to Die. The last of the Daniel Craig, James Bond films. We had thoughts. So if you're interested in our discussion on that, please look it up. If you put Damn You Hollywood uh, in, into any podcasting platform, you'll probably find it. Uh, that's over on the W2M network, that series of uh, podcasts and whatnot that I participate in. This week, there's going to be a Damn You Hollywood on the 19th, so Tuesday. That will be for the Hall uh, the latest Halloween movie, Halloween Kills. Uh, should be a good time. I haven't seen it yet, but I plan to. So I look forward to that. That will be... I think that's me, Mark... I want to say Jason Teasley and Alexis Haina. 
could be mistaken, but I think we'll have a few other people on there apart from just Mark and myself. So, tune in. We'll have thoughts on that. Should be a good one. Uh, let's see. I think that's it on the podcasting front. So, just AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. Uh, MLW Fusion Alpha Wednesday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. And UFC event on Saturday. So, just my... Again, my kind of usual written coverage. All of that is uh, over at 411Mania. Be that in the wrestling or MMA zone, respectively, depending on what I'm covering. Thank you very much. Next week, we'll be back here. Same time, same place. We'll review UFC on ESPN Plus 54. And preview UFC 267. Jeez. Uh, Just kind of barely occurred to me because the WWE has Crown Jewel this week. This Thursday, so sweet Saudi blood money. Then, uh, end of the month on the 30th, we have the uh, the UFC back in Abu Dhabi uh, for that particular event. So, uh, yeah, we'll preview that next week. We'll have a full breakdown. That is a uh, that is a good card. That is a really good card, and it's gonna be long. It's not a long one. We're looking at 14 or 15. Hang on, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, 14. Two of those title fights. 15? Oh, yeah, maybe 15. Sorry, there's another fight listed on the announce that doesn't have a bout order placement yet. It's going to be a long event. Uh, that whole thing is go. If you're in the United States and have ESPN+, Plus, that whole thing is on ESPN+, Plus, so it's just being broadcast in primetime in Abu Dhabi, so earlier morning here in the United States. Anyway, full preview next week. So come back for that. Until then, thank you all again very much for listening. I appreciate all of you. Per usual, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.